Welcome to Broad Eye, the podcast that explores knowledge gaps in ophthalmology and eye care. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Broad Eye podcast. My name is Sean Maloney, and I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Bruno Fernandez. So, Bruno, thanks for joining me today. Thank you, Sean. How's it going? Well, I can't complain. I can't complain. And I'm pretty excited about our guest today, uh, Dr. Rubens Belfort. Uh, Rubens, are you there? Yes. Hey, Sean. Hey, Bruno. Thanks for having me. <laughs> ah, listen, it's our, our pleasure, truly. Um, so uh, we all know each other. We've worked together, um, and I could probably give a little background information on you, but I was going to actually throw that ball at you to, to maybe see if you can give a brief bio of who you are and, uh, and uh, who you are, where you are, and what you're doing. Okay. Okay. I'll do that. Thank you. So uh, my name is Rubens Belfort. I'm Brazilian. I live in Sao Paulo, born and raised here. I did part of my training uh, in Canada and the States. That's when I got to meet Sean and Bruno. That was back in 2007 for part of my PhD. And now I'm back in Brazil working as an eye doctor. And um, I super specialized in ocular oncology. That means uh, treating cancers of the eye. And that's what we do here in Brazil. In the academic setting, uh, we treat uh, eye cancers. Uh, all right. So I, I have, we happen to have like I mean similar similar trainings, right? Like I mean, used to work with like ocular oncology as well. And one of the things we mentioned like on on our inaugural inaugural episode for this podcast is that uh, the referral, right, like of patients that uh, have suspected like ocular cancers, sometimes. It's uh, it's it's not optimal, and it takes forever from the moment of initial, of, I mean, first diagnosis to the actual confirmation of such a, a diagnosis, right? And of course, that it's very stressful for the for the patients that uh, might have a suspected cancer in the eye. And uh, I know it's crazy how the best solutions are usually the simple ones. And and you you mentioned to me about uh, uh, like a, a WhatsApp group that you started to uh, to optimize like i mean the communications between uh, uh different healthcare professionals and uh and streamline that process of referral of uh, cases can you tell us a bit more about that sure so you're thinking as a canadian so here in brazil is not the time from first diagnosis to the actual treatment but we like to think about uh, the first symptom <laughs> to get into a, a general physician that's going to consider ocular cancer and then refer this patient to a specialist who's going to establish the diagnosis and then we become Canada and then we have to think about the diagnosis to treatment. So uh, it, it's a long road for Brazilian patients and uh, I like to always remind people that ocular oncologists are pretty rare. Uh, ocular cancer is not that common and although we, are, we have 20,000 ophthalmologists in Brazil, 50% uh, of them are concentrated in 12 cities. So that gives an idea of how poorly uh, distributed these professionals are. So um, since the patient has a symptom, uh, he needs to go to a general physician that's gonna send him to an eye doctor. And then uh, it's very rare to keep these general ophthalmologists up to date in ocular oncology. And my personal opinion is that it doesn't really make a lot of sense to invest a lot in training every general ophthalmologist into uh, establishing ocular oncology diagnosis because it's rare, right? So you need a, a huge number of hours to educate these ophthalmologists about something they will see 
one case every year. So that is kind of frustrating. And, and we would see patients uh, traveling 12 hours by boat from the Amazon jungle to Manaus, and then from Manaus flight to uh, Brasilia, from Brasilia to Sao Paulo, that's already uh, sometimes two days trip to see a physician to establish the diagnosis. And many of these patients would come to Sao Paulo, or of course, any other um, uh, uh, major city in Brazil uh, and would hear, you know, you don't have an eye cancer, you just have an EVI or a benign lesion in the eye. So it's uh, very expensive, very time consuming. And by the time the patient gets the diagnosis in case of cancer, uh, sometimes you, you've passed the ideal moment of treatment. It, sometimes it's been months since the first symptom to uh, the actual diagnosis. So our idea was pretty simple. Let's help the general ophthalmologist to establish a diagnosis, you know? And with telemedicine nowadays, with mobile phones and uh, most of the Brazilian territory covered by 4G, we don't need very sophisticated tools to do that. So our idea was pretty straightforward. Just create a WhatsApp number. You know, WhatsApp has been used by 2 billion people in the world. It's encrypted, it's free. It works pretty well. You can send data, uh, voice, video, images, documents. And, and, you know, any ophthalmologist can send us the images of a suspected case. And we, we reply pretty quick. Usually it takes 24 to 48 hours for the uh, eye doctor to get a response from our team. And that way we make our knowledge available to every single ophthalmologist in Brazil. We don't answer direct to patients. We don't want any problems, you know, in doing consultation for patients over the internet. That's not what we do. We just answer back to um, physicians and it's an informal consultation. Sometimes the information we get is not ideal, but it helps, it helps a lot. So, okay, this is definitely interesting. And I'm wondering, um, before I dive into my next thought here, are there regulatory issues with something like that? Or, uh, I know it wasn't really something we were going to dive into, but just hearing you talk about it, I'm wondering if it's easier to do something like that in certain places uh, where maybe the regulatory um, framework is a little more liberal than in other locations where it's more conservative. Yeah, you know, Sean, you're right. And every time I, talk, I tell people about this initiative, they say, well, but it's not perfect. How can you guarantee you get all the images you want? And it's not a real consultation. The patient should be in front of you and you're able to touch and feel and see the way he walks inside the room. You know, in the ideal world, I, I agree. You know, every patient should have a very well-trained ocular oncologist to take, to take care of them. But, you know, this is not Finland uh, or even Vietnam. This is Brazil. And uh, the patients wait for months and months and sometimes die uh, from a cancer that could have been treated. So there are a number of regulatory and ethical uh, uh, problems. Uh, but again, first we talk to other physicians, we don't talk to the patients. So that's number one uh, uh, good thing about this. And we don't charge for the service, we do it through the university. Uh, so we are kind of shielded uh, uh, inside the university. And we've had uh, a number of uh, even American physicians say, you know, this is illegal, this is not ethical and you shouldn't do this. Um, and we've had the, the medical board here in Brazil 
uh, writing us a letter saying that the initiative is valid, is not unethical, and we're helping hundreds of patients that would uh, maybe lose their, their vision or uh, even die from cancer. So uh, we should be able to think outside the box, right? <laughs> we're doing a consultation for a, for a, a fellow physician and pretty much uh, taking the number of images and the, the information we have, trying to determine if it's a cancer or not, if it's something he can treat locally or he needs to refer uh, to a large center. And if needed be, let's try to get this patient in as soon as possible uh, so that the prognosis is good. No, I think that's, I mean, what you're doing is, is amazing. And uh, I think that's also how, you know, people like you, you push the boundaries maybe of saying, hey, this is what needs to be done. Yeah, there's maybe some regulatory hurdles, but you might see them as exactly that. They're hurdles. They're not, you know, walls that are insurmountable. And it's like, let's take care of the, uh, take care of the patient first and we'll, we'll kind of figure it out as, as we go, right? But what inspired you, you yourself to actually take this on? Because I'm sure that you're not the only person who has seen a need for more uh, rapid communication, I call it up the chain of specialization. Um, and this, and this is one field we're talking about, but what you're doing could be done across a lot of fields, right? So what inspired you to be the, I'll call it pioneer in, in this space and say, let's, you know, let's, I'll take this on. I'll, I'll put my name there and I'll, I'll do this. Well, our service here in Brazil, uh, at, at times has been overwhelmed because we're the largest service in Latin America taking care of ocular cancer. But again, Brazil is pretty big. So we'd get very advanced disease. And sometimes we, we had very little to offer to these patients. So it's kind of frustrating, you know? And uh, we would do the traditional way of teaching every ophthalmologist and doing courses on uh, huge uh, meetings to, to teach the general ophthalmology about eye cancer, but the general ophthalmology wants, uh, wants to learn about cataracts, you know, very exciting new uh, surgical techniques. Uh, of course, the techniques and, and knowledge that uh, helps uh, gener generate revenue, helps the, the guys make more money in the office. And ocular oncology is, is not in, in that list. Also affects a, a part of our population that has very little access to healthcare. Uh, the, the main cancer we see is carcinoma, and it's usually associated to UV exposure. So it's in the equator line, um, uh, workers, uh, you know, people that work in the sun, <laughs> in farms or outside. And these guys usually don't have medical insurance and they uh, depend on the public system. So again, we would see all of that. And it's, it's pretty basic, you know, uh, that would work uh, beautifully in, in dermatology. And of course, in radiology, um, you don't need to see the patient. Most of the radiologists don't, don't actually meet the patients to establish the diagnosis. So why not provide a service like that? Uh, the problem is that no, nobody's making money, right? Uh, the, the government is saving money, uh, but the government doesn't really care. <laughs> that's, that's the truth. And uh, people are used to doing things the old way, right? No, let's send the patient to a big center, to a big hospital, and he's going to be seen and have the exams um, performed there. Uh, I, I remember this case, uh, old guy, again, we had a center in Manaus trying to get closer to the patients. And, and the story about the boat trip is true. 
he would stay uh, 12 to 15 hours on a boat, depending if you'd go up uh, a river uh, or down river to get to Manaus. And he had a huge carcinoma and we had nothing to offer. And at, at a certain point, we just felt that it would be nice to invest in quality of life, you know, just give him the support he needs close to his house so that him and his daughter or son would not have to travel to Manaus uh, that often to have the same outcome. He would, he would still die from the cancer because it was beyond uh, resection. We had nothing to, to offer. So these things sometimes in, you, you just need to, to experience these things to be able to, uh, to think of new solutions, right? Yeah, no, like that. That's very inspiring, man. Like, uh, you know, it, it, it really looks like a service like done by physicians for physicians, but like I mean, the actual benefit is going straight to the to the patients. Uh, uh, can just a, more on the specifics, you know, like uh, on on how exactly does it work? Like, let's say, like I mean, you have a a, a general of, of ophthalmologist with in training in oncology, and then he's there like in the middle of the Amazon jungle. And then he sees a patient with, uh, with, uh, with, uh, like, let's say a pigmented lesion in his eye, you know, like something that he thinks might be a tumor, but he has no training to confirm that at all. So what, what does he do? Like, I mean, how, how does it work? Like, uh, yeah, there is very little glamour, <laughs> you know, uh, usually I get a couple of pictures and then I get a question saying any idea, you know, it's not like, good morning, professor. My name is blah, blah, blah. And I'm sending you a message from the jungle, I would like to hear your opinion. It's like three pictures and a question mark. And then we answer, you know, we say, good morning. Thank you for the pictures. It's a really interesting case. You know, uh, if we have any questions about patient's age or uh, of course, sometimes the physician uh, sends more uh, detailed information, but we ask the questions we need and you say the most likely diagnosis is this. And if that's the case, uh, these are the, your uh, surgical options. And if you think you can manage, uh, there's, here's the v YouTube video uh, reminding you of, of the technique we, we think it's ideal to take care of that patient because it's a lot of work to explain to every single <laughs> doctor how to treat, right? So we've created a YouTube channel with uh, a number of videos uh, highlighting each of, of the most common uh, diagnosis and how to treat. And we've recorded a version for the patient's family because uh, external, um, reassurance is important in these rare cases, right? So the physician can say, here's the video from the, the guys in Sao Paulo. Uh, I want you to watch, and then he'll be reassured about the diagnosis, and he'll be able to access a, a version for the physicians to, you know, with a basic technique on how to deal with the less complex cases. And ideally, these patients would be treated without the need of being referred to us. And that is usually what happens. But uh, we prefer them checking base with us and, you know, making sure the diagnosis uh, is correct and that is the best way to go instead of just operating on the patients and, and sometimes uh, doing a procedure that can make the prognosis worse. So it's pretty straightforward, man. It's just a, a text and we, we answer back and, and suggest on, on what should be done. And if it is a more advanced case, let's say a retinoblastoma that is a tumor that affects the uh, intraocular uh, uh, eyes uh, of, of kids or a conjunctival melanoma that is also very nasty uh, cancer and sometimes very hard to control. 
we would just ask, where are you? And, and refer to the nearest center. And it works pretty well. Oh, man, that's, uh, this, you know, it's funny because I don't know if I ever told you this, but when I first met you in Montreal, uh, 2005, 2006, you're the first person I ever met that had a smartphone. Uh, so I've always, I've always uh, seen you as someone at the, the forefront of technology in general, definitely an early adopter uh, in, in all aspects of technology and certainly, you know, in ophthalmology. And I guess this is certainly a testament to that, uh, the way you're doing things here. Um, Thank you so much. But, you know, <laughs> I like to think of myself as a super nerd and very technological <laughs> guy. But, but again, uh, we're using WhatsApp, you know. My grandmother uh, is a great WhatsApp user. And this is so simple. <laughs> it's having someone willing to share his knowledge for free. You know, that's it. And uh, we don't care if you're seeing a private patient or a patient through the public system. I don't care. We're willing to give you our opinion. And, you know, okay, I won't make that money. My institution won't make that money. But that's okay. So I, I really wish we could, we had developed a super uh, cool artificial intelligent algorithm that could pick the patients from inside the bus and tell them they had an ocular cancer. But, uh, you know, it's like writing a letter and, and, and writing back. It's pretty simple, you know? No, I think it's, but, you know, I, I'm curious to hear about the reception of this. So I know you, get, you talked a little bit about um, how some people were maybe challenging it, but how have, um, you know, your fellow ophthalmologists or primary care physicians and the patients you know, receive this? Are, are you having these doctors saying, hey, thanks, I'm, I'm, this is amazing, I'm, I'm, you know, are they really happy with this? Or people are still kind of balking at it? I'm just curious the general reception from the different stakeholders. Yeah, the, the feedback from general ophthalmologists has been amazing. And, you know, if he, the guys that had a contact, like, you know, I'm Bruno's friend. So if I, I think I have a, a, a case of like ocular cancer, I'll just text him, say, hey, Bruno, how are you? Do you mind taking a, a look at these pictures? And that's it. But for the ophthalmologist that didn't have this contact with a ocular oncology established, it's really, really good. And it's funny because every time we speak of this service in public, we have a spike in the number of consultations with that. So people tend to forget about it. And probably uh, as, as of now we're talking, there, there's a, there are a number of ophthalmologists in Brazil with uh, a case suspected of eye cancer and they don't know what to do. And then when we expose, sometimes we publish this on our Instagram or we give a presentation and we talk about this again, then we get a spike in the number of consultations. So it's, it's interesting, right, uh, the, the way this works. And again, for the ocular oncologist, it hasn't been this, uh, this good <laughs> because they feel this is not the way they were trained. They deserve to get these patients in their private office. And don't get me wrong, brother. I think every single patient should be my patient in my private office and pay for it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to, to, uh, to not to make money. But again, these patients, they don't have enough money and they live far away. And they are usually part of the 60% of underserviced uh, people in Brazil that don't have access to a physician. So, you know, it, it's, I, again, it's not ideal, but it's the best thing we have uh, trying to prevent uh, patients from uh, coming to us with huge advanced 
cancers that would, could, could have been treated uh, months ago. Uh, just a quick follow-up on that. Like, you're not stealing someone else's patients, you know, and obviously the way the healthcare system in Brazil works from, uh, the way it works is different from Canada, from the UK, from the US, from elsewhere. Um, but you're not taking necessarily someone else's patient or and money out of another physician's pocket. You're talking about people here in many cases that wouldn't get treated by anybody, right? Or or, they, or, or never be referred in time to to um, to an ocular oncologist in, in this case, right? Probably, but again, Sean, I don't care. Maybe I'm I'm taking money from my own pocket. You know, some of these patients we get uh, messages from physicians in Sao Paulo saying, you know, I saw this patient, what do you suggest? And maybe this, this patient would Google and, and find my clinic. But, but again, making money here is far from the, the, the main reason we do this. And I think that's the way to go, right? Because if you only think about making money, you would never make a service like this available. And if you start charging for it, then it makes things much more complicated, especially on the regulatory side. So it, it's the only way to go. Yeah, I know. Like, I mean, from 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 where I stand, you know, like, I mean, I I, I that's that's kind of like what disruption looks like, right? Uh, now, like, I mean, it's uh, you, you change the status quo, and in this case, I see that as an improvement, and uh, people that used to benefit from the status quo, you know, like, I mean, usually is going to be quite upset about it, you know, and uh, but you know, like, I mean, as you said, right? Like, I mean, nothing stops. Uh, uh, you from referring like that person that needs an ocular oncologist like to the nearest like ocular oncologist right like I mean in case that patient really needs one right so it's not that you're funneling uh, patients like to your clinic you know? like I mean you're just just like streamlining the that whole process of referral or not like from of uh, of patients to, to to the right doctors and, uh, and still we don't talk to the patient right. I can yeah. I could even say tell the doctor say you know uh, he needs to come to São Paulo and and then we would accept the patient in our public institution where the service is provided by free so th there is no conflict there. Do you do you like like I think that, that platform doctor doctor for me for me is a no brainer you know like I mean doctors talk to one another so I really don't see why it would ever be an issue. Uh, do you see? A, a similar platform being developed like for patients uh, from doctors to patients or like or even between patients uh, like a, like a support group or something but more specifically uh, like a watch group like that that patients can go there and ask questions about their diseases like being oncology or not yeah I think those platforms are really confusing uh, I've used a few of those uh, where patients meet other patients with the same disease. And I think that's amazing for support. But usually when there's a doctor there, he's trying to uh, get patients for his practice, which is okay. But, uh, but I think it's a, it's a, a different... Uh, uh, Dynamics. Yeah. yeah, you know, because... And, and again, I, I've been involved in some of these patients. For, for example, ocular melanoma. Uh, we, we see some very well-structured... Uh, uh, patients uh, group and patient support group, but it's usually just for patients. They usually have someone uh, to, to talk about the, the new uh, developments and stuff like that, but it's, it's more support than therapeutical uh, uh, approach. Advice, you know? yeah. 
each case is very specific, right? If you do a plaque in one case or a nucleation surgery in another, it's very hard to, to share this kind of uh, experience in a group with patients that have that usually present with the same disease, but it's so diverse, right? The, the, the stage they present, the vision. Um, so, and, and it's also about the group. When you mentioned the, the oncophone, the way we call uh, for the first time, so I know you have a group. I hate groups, man, because, you know, and then someone throws in a stupid comment and then it changes the focus of the discussion from the main uh, uh, point. And I think it's really frustrating. I, I'm, I'm sure all of you guys are in the, these uh, WhatsApp groups and it's, it's a man. So we, we don't have a group. We reply to each single physician and we never share the images. We don't talk about it. We don't do case discussions. We don't talk about it with other people, right? So that way we preserve uh, the, the information the doctor sent us and it's one-to-one. We, we don't talk in a group because then other, some guy could say, you know, but once I've seen in a meeting in France, uh, this a similar case being tra- treated like uh, in another way. <laughs> and then it changes all the focus of the, the conversation, right? Yeah. Okay. Like, I mean, that, like, so, so it's, it's not a, like a, a community, right? Like, I mean, so it's basically a, a hotline that people can yeah. use to, to have their questions answered. Okay, no, so that's that's interesting. Now, I want to jump in here and just ask, what's next? You know, so it, you have this basic WhatsApp group. You've kind of tested it at the grassroots level. Um, do you do you think this needs to be developed further? Do you think it needs to be expanded into other specialties, whether that's you spearheading that initiative or not? Um, is it not the kind of thing that you say, hey, this approach to doing medicine could be scaled and it needs investments, you know, what, uh, what do you see, I guess, is the next steps for what you're doing? Yeah. So the challenge again is to get the patients, uh, early diagnosis and uh, adequate treatment since uh, as, as fast as possible. Right. Um, we've been trying to think of other, uh, great ideas. If any of, of the guys listening to the post podcast, if they have any ideas, please, uh, send it to me. But uh, so we started the Oncophone and we, we have the YouTube channel with the information for each physician. Uh, we're publishing a book now. You know, some of the, the guys still want to uh, get a not a hard copy book because that doesn't exist anymore, but it's going to be an electronic book with very straightforward information focused on uh, diagnosis and treatment. You know, you won't have those uh, chapters on uh, genetic studies and, and, you know, the history and evolution of the disease is going to be how to diagnose and how to treat uh, based on images and uh, videos uh, in three languages. Uh, we're going to, the first edition is going to be published in Portuguese, Spanish, and English, same chapters translated to the three uh, languages. And, you know, if you have a question, you click the button and WhatsApp is going to open and you're going to send it straight to us and we're going to get back to you. So again, it's not nothing new, right? <laughs> Ebooks have been around for 20 years, but it's going to be free. People are going to download it and hopefully it's going to be useful for residents. And uh, we still use the traditional books. We go to the States and we buy this amazing atlas for people that trained me and Bruno. And they're really beautiful. Uh, lots of images, amazing text, 
but it costs $700. And most uh, physicians are not willing to spend that kind of money uh, on an ocular oncology book. And then online, the information is not really well organized and based in evidence. And you know, uh, you can publish anything, eventually you get it published. So there are so many papers that we working on the field, we read and we think they're uh, not good and they shouldn't be out there, but they still are. So uh, that's the next step. And it looks like we're going backwards, right? Say, okay, the next step is gonna be publish a book yeah, you know, getting the, the information uh, organized and available based on uh, evidence and also based on our experience in the public service in Brazil, where cost matters a lot. Um, and, I, you know, Sean, uh, I invest in my clinic and we have cool stuff going on, but it's completely different from this work in the university. So we're not looking for investors. I don't think we can make money out of this. And again, that's the idea, you know, we don't need to. And maybe we can help out with that too, as you know, uh, what we're trying to do with the, the Broad Eye podcast and, and site and the community around that is, is make this type of high quality information available like at, for free to people as well. So uh, maybe that's something we can help you distribute as you, um, you have that published as well. Bruno, any th- other thoughts, any questions you want to ask Rubens before we, wrap this up uh yeah just one last one you know if uh i mean if someone listening to this uh, episode and now it, he, he kind of like desires like to do the same thing in their region uh uh what kind of tips you know like uh, would you would you give what kind of like things you would do differently you know like i mean you would have to do it all again what kind of like my mistakes like you know that he should be aware of you know like depending on the guy, on where the guy is practicing, it would be very good to learn some jiu-jitsu because, you know, you never... Know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure all of the listeners know that Sean used to practice jiu-jitsu like me and Bruno is a, is a champion and a professor. So it's a kind of a joke, but, you know, you should expect people not to understand why you're doing it and people are going to get jealous and people are going to get mad. We just wrote a chapter on telemedicine and saying about the challenges for telemedicine to be widely adopted. And sometimes it's just because we're not used to it. Some patients don't want to see their doctor through a a computer screen. And some doctors think it's just wrong and it's going to kill medicine and it's going to end up uh, with uh, the medicine the way we know it. And we know know it's not true, right? (laughs) But, But sometimes people are super conservative. And I think more people should do this. Uh, I've been trying to, to get someone to do this in India or in, in parts of Africa and maybe even in the States or in Canada, you know, if you're willing to help other physicians to establish the diagnosis, why not? We know even in, in very advanced uh, countries, and uh, very sophisticated medical uh, systems, Sometimes it takes a long, a long time for the patient to get uh, the, the, the consultation he needs, right? And I don't think uh, a system like this can hurt. I think it can only do good. I can I imagine that. Oh, sorry. I can imagine that, uh, uh, like, when you're, when you're talking about this, I, I imagine a scenario where you have, uh, I mean, most practicing physicians are, you know, extremely busy. So the fact that you're taking some time out of your, 
your days to, to assist people is phenomenal. But in terms of scale, um, I think that, uh, I think, is there an opportunity for people who are, I'll say semi-retired or retired physicians that just say, Hey, you know what? Sure. I wouldn't mind helping out, uh, you know, five, 10, you know, fellow ophthalmologists in my spare time as I'm having my coffee in the morning and just go on and take a look and, and answer some questions back. Um, do you, can you imagine that people in that phase of their, their career or their life would be able to do that type of thing? Would be interested in doing something like that? Yeah, I think so. But I think it's very important for us, the physicians still working and seeing patients in the public system to do it because uh, we're, we're up to date. We know what's going on and we're fast. You know, one of the challenges for telemedicine is older patients and older physicians sometimes struggle with the, the, the technical part of it, right? And uh, again, Sean, you're absolutely right. We're only able to do this because it's a rare disease, right? <laughs> if, we're, if we're talking about headaches, it would be crazy. Imagine how <laughs> would stand as a case, you know, of a patient with a headache. And that, that's insane. Uh, ocular melanoma is five per million per year. And then if you talk about carcinoma, maybe three times more than that. But we're still talking about a very small number of cases. So this type of, uh, uh, you know, strategy, I think it only works with uh, rare diseases and uh, that have been triaged by a physician first, right? Otherwise, we would be completely overwhelmed with stuff that has nothing to do with uh, eye cancer being sent to us. So I, th I think that's something we have to keep in mind for a system like uh, Oncophone. What's interesting about that too is um, that is a, a solution to handling, call it uh, rare diseases, right? So uh, you know, the more common diseases, so someone has whatever, they have dry AMD or they have um, dry eye or, or whatever the condition might be, the general ophthalmologist is also going to be better trained to diagnose those cases as well. So they, there might not be a need for something like this anyways. It's for the more, the stuff that's on the periphery, on the edges, I guess, of the, of, or hyper-specialized in the domain that they don't necessarily have the requisite training and that's where something like this comes in. Right. So maybe across different specialties, it would be the same, the same thing. Yeah. And you know, topic for another uh, uh, nice conversation with you guys, there is a, a disease called uh, Scheroderma pigmentoso. It's a very rare uh, genetic disease and uh, the patients are in, unable to fix uh, UV damage to their DNA. So the, the patients pretty much cannot, go outside without super special UV protection. Otherwise they develop skin uh, and, and eye cancer since the first decade of life. And it's very rare. We only had two patients with uh, XP in our uh, service. And then a, a colleague from the United States, Arum Singh came down and he said, oh, that's amazing. You have two cases. I've only seen one in Cleveland. And then I said, you know, maybe we can get more. And I asked the patient, and she was uh, in a few groups, <laughs> going back to Bruno's questions, in some, of, some groups of, of men for patients. And I said, you know, let's do a project. You have something so rare. I think you deserve a super specialized physician taking care of, of these patients. And she uh, started helping us. And we did some actions on, on Instagram and Facebook. And now we have 47 patients with XP being followed by our group. And just for you guys to have an idea, the leader uh, uh, re uh, researcher uh, of this disease in Germany has only seen two patients in his life. And we have wow. 37 under our care. So you see, thinking outside the, the box, um, 
we have this huge group of patients benefiting from having super specialized physicians that nowadays know how to treat their, <laughs> their very rare condition. And uh, on the other uh, hand, it's super rich for, uh, you know, research. And, and again, very simple idea that gave us the large number of patients probably uh, being followed uh, anywhere in the world. So uh, that's cool oh. to talk about at another time with you guys. No, definitely. <laughs> well, listen, man, I think that uh, we're, we've taken up a lot of your time today. Um, we definitely want to have you back for around two, around three, around four, <laughs> all those future rounds. Um, I think you have a lot of experience that you can share with, uh, with the audience, um, be it with patients or fellow physicians who might be listening to this. So I just want to uh, thank you for taking the time to chat with Bruno and I on this, uh, on this show and helping us do what we're trying to do. And, and we have that common goal of um, improving communication in the, in the fields of ophthalmology and eye care. So we're going about it in different ways, but we're all, uh, all trying to do that in a, in a way that is easily accessible. So I just want to take the time to, to thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Bruno, for having me. Great pleasure to talk to you guys. I've been vaccinated, so soon, hopefully, I'll be having <laughs> with you guys in Montreal. Maybe a beer, uh, lots of kids running around, and uh, I miss you guys. I'm really proud of your work, and it's a great pleasure for me to be here. All right, thanks, man. Thanks for the kind words, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Rubens. It was a pleasure having you, man. Like, always nice chatting. So, to the next. There will be another one for sure. <laughs> Bye-bye. All right.